It's the setup. I'm Chris Grace. I'm John Accardo. And uh, we are getting ready for you to leave. Yes. Yes, that sounded like a mean way of saying it. Like, we're getting ready for you to get out of here. Yeah, finally. Finally. And move this podcast to its solo incarnation. Right. (laughs) As it was always meant. The Chris Grace Comedy Hour. Yeah. (laughs) No discussions of magic whatsoever. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Makes sense to me. I I leave tomorrow. So I, I assume this will come out. After uh, I come out Wednesday, yeah. Um, so I, I this is Sunday the fourteenth, yeah, and I leave tomorrow the fifteenth. Uh, that's right. And you're going to Paris, Paris, uh, Bruges, and then London, and then Scotland, right? Um, and I think we talked about before that you're not going to really have that much chance to work on the show. Um, I mean, I might. It, it depends. You're gonna uh, be in vacation mode a little bit, though. Yeah, we in vacation mode a little bit. I'm not. A, I'm not again opposed to taking off. Um, you know, a day or two, and just kind of working on stuff if need. Be. I guess, but it seems weird to be like in Paris and be like, I'm gonna stay in the hotel room. <laughs> right. I mean, this is gonna sound very pompous. I wasn't. I, I like since I was just in like. Yeah. I was just in France for the first time for an ex- for a lot like two and a half weeks. Yeah. Just a couple months ago. Yeah. Um. Being very, very, very excited about like, like I'm less excited than if I had just never gone before. Right. So right, I'm not right. I'm not opposed to taking like a day to make sure that this next yeah. month of my life is less painful. Where are you staying? Um, we just have a hotel. I uh, I'm not I'm not entirely sure. But how, first of all, how many people are going? Uh, three. Okay, and are you staying in the same room with? I can't them? remember. I okay. can't remember. Because it's not like um, we've gone back and forth. I, I don't think so, but I don't remember where we ever settled on that. Well, was, the reason I was if you have your own room, then like at. 11 at night, right. of course, you can just right. practice for like four hours or something like that. Um, what is nice is that, I mean, from the time I actually get, part of it is that when I, by the time I get to Edinburgh, I'll still have four whole days Yeah, um, to basically work. Um, do you, you land on the 26th? Uh, yeah. Yeah, so you land on the 26th. Um, uh, oh, actually, sorry, you're taking a train there. Yeah. Um, which is great. You'll already be adjusted to the time. Yes, yeah, so I'll have 10 days to get used to the time. So you can come, to, come on the 26th. Get settled in the flat, set up things or practice on the twenty sixth, and then twenty seventh is a Saturday during the day. I have tech for uh, Voldemort, mm-hmm. so and I think our tech is like at seven at night. It's at night time, okay. uh, and I think we have like three hours, three or four hours to tech the show, cool. uh, which shouldn't be too hard. I don't see us having lots of tech. Right. Um, we do need to. Oh, I do need a list from you of what songs you want for yes. transitions. I actually, first of all, I mean, I think I picked some pretty great ones. Yeah, oh uh, my God. we'll talk about that. Definitely. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I was thinking, uh, stressed about it for a while, but then I realized over the past couple of years, I've been compiling an entire playlist of music to play like over Magic for this exact purpose. Uh-huh. So I have a lot of, so I have a lot of things to use as transition yeah. music. Um, yeah, so let's talk about it. Friday. Friday. Here in Los Angeles this past that Friday. John song. Friday. Did a, uh, Friday. It's Friday. Friday. Yeah. Can I get that? Oh, man. Um, Friday, we did a dry run of the show. Yes. Here in Los Angeles at Thamili Arts Center. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, invited some friends. I probably had about like 10 people. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 10 or 11. Yeah. And, uh, side note, if you ever need a rehearsal space in Los Angeles, this Thamili Arts place is pretty cool. Yeah, it was very East nice. East Hollywood. East uh, Hollywood, inexpensive. Yeah. Uh, during the day, it's $15 an hour for the room that we were in, which mm-hmm. is plenty. It's a, it's a rehearsal space, but you theoretically could host a little mini performance like we did. Oh, th- I'm, I was seeing more than uh, a couple advertisements from them like on their website, on little flyers, yeah. um, to host uh, Hollywood Fringe shows there. Yeah. 
Um, that makes sense. Oh, that totally makes sense. Yeah. So, um, so we uh, invited some folks so that John could run through the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, Thank and you for anyone who came. Yeah. How did you feel? Not bad. Yeah. Not I. I you know. Uh, I felt better after that than I'd felt all week leading up to it. Uh huh. What was your state going into this dry run? Were you nervous? Yes. I was. I was like, this is gonna be terrible uh-huh this is all just a bunch of bullshit <laughs> everyone's gonna hate this but then the first couple laughs i got which felt like legitimate laughs yeah i i i i smoothed out i calmed out yeah i calmed down um yeah so but i i learned a lot from it uh-huh uh given that it was the first time i've just run it from start to finish completely with no stops mm-hmm. i'll put quotes on no stops uh but yeah it went pretty well i think that there were a lot of little things for each piece, like blocking thing. You know, just a little like, oh, can't stand here. Uh, <laughs> right. What What was nice is that I mean, look, we've all, everybody was very nice about it afterwards. They all said they, everyone said they enjoyed it, and so obviously, you, you're you're my head goes to the insecure place of like, well, I've said nice things about shows I've fucking yeah, hated. yeah. Um, so and that's still very much a reality. However, a lot of people, um, a couple people in particular, did say nice things, but they also were very honest about the things they didn't like, which oh. truthfully makes me feel better. Uh, like a friend of mine who wasn't a magician, he was like, "I really liked it." He's like, "I will say though, what were you doing with those envelopes when you're trying to like hold them up in your notebook?" I was like, "That's a good point." He's like, I'm like, "Yeah, that, was, that, <laughs> that didn't work. That did not work." Yes. I, in the moment, I thought like this could hold all five. He's like. And he's like, no, when you started doing that, I just went, oh, John, what are you doing? <laughs> uh, it was interesting. When you started doing that, I thought, that doesn't, so uh, it was uh, p- one phase of the revela- yeah, revelation in one of the phases yeah. of this trick. Where involving. I'm holding a prediction in one hand, and, I, uh, that, I, and, I, and, I, and I'm having someone reveal like five of these large cards that are just envelopes. Yes. Um, and so I thought that, to, how can I hold them so they can see all five? Or this isn't too clunky, so I thought, oh, what if I just stuck them inside of the notebook, and then the five could sort of like go around that, and the notebook has the prediction written on it. Right. Um, so when you started doing that, I thought, I, this I, doesn't seem like it's going to work. Well, John's done magic for a long time. He must know ways of like, he must know if he's going to do this, that he can display them in a way that <laughs> looks right. And then... I thought you were rearranging them to be in the order that the prediction was written right. on, but they weren't. And then I was like, what's happening? And then like the fourth one like flopped over in yeah. your hand. <laughs> and then you just looked at me and you were like, we'll work on this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Anytime something went wrong, at least I acknowledged like, ah, this, this will be better. Yeah. I'll fix it. Okay. Here's another one. Write that one down. Yeah. I, I think that the people were not, um, I, you know, calling back things we've talked about on the show. Um, I, I, I don't think people... People were genuine about liking the show, but I was also thinking, like, that the... When we have told... When you've told people before, like, oh, I really like... Good job on the show, whatever. If it's been, like, a play or a one-person show or something, sometimes you are lying because you're like, oh, my God, the middle of it was so boring. But because it's magic, even if everything... Even if the script is not that interesting, there's still, like, five or six moments in the show they're like, oh, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Like... That's the uh, maybe the positive version of Teller's, uh, you know, theory about like it's you know that. Uh, I mean, you could see me saying this as uh, m- maybe not a positive thing about your show, but I'm not. I'm just going off on a different point. Mm-hmm. I don't think people actually said it that way. Right. But um, even if the well, like recently we saw a show that I would say that the script and stuff was not super strong, and the performer was not super strong. But there were a couple moments of magic in the show that were just like. So good that still an audience that couldn't really quite understand the person's 
speech and like demeanor, the magic was so good that they still went like, oh, mm-hmm. like at a certain moment. Um, I actually don't know who you're talking about. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you later. Okay. Um, it rhymes with Eric L. Audio. <laughs> no, Eric the Audio. That Eric be, the Audio. Pretty good. That's a guy Stage that name. plays music. I don't know. Yeah. Um, uh, which reminds me, I need to send that Google link. We're, we're oh, gonna, right. We're going to ask people for like yeah. feedback on the show. Uh, we're also doing a little Kickstarter push for the yeah, show. Yeah, please uh, donate to our Kickstarter. Um, we're almost there. Yeah, uh, we got a little bump. Uh, we have moved from the phase of. Um, uh, Blasting it out on in personal social media yes. to I wrote individual emails to people yesterday. Yeah, and it has been the most it. embarrassing two days of my life. Oh, has it? Yeah. Uh, in what sense? Uh, just embarrassing asking people for money. Like sending a message like, please give me money. <laughs> and then basically putting them in a position where they have to be like, oh, I wish I could. Oh. Because again, all my, my demographic of people are all poor, broke, Well, so loan. that's interesting because I was thinking about it while I was sending these emails out that most of the people I know are like UCB comedians who don't have money to right. send. However, there's a subset of those people that I have supported their Kickstarters. Right. So a little bit I'm like, you know, what you goes can around, kick, comes around. kick back 50 bucks that I sent you right. to me. We'll uh, just keep passing back the same $50. Keep, yeah, and keep giving 4% of it to Kickstarter. Yeah. Um, and then there were some people, there were some people I specifically did not email because I'm like, oh, they don't have a job right now. Like, right. <laughs> there's no. Um, so I've gotten a lot of like, I wish I could if I could afford it. Yeah. I thought you would have like older relatives that you could reach out to. Like uncles with that had a magic kid of their own back in the day. I might do that. I might send them easy. You reach, definitely reach out to the clan. Right. For money. I, and I don't mean that. <laughs> I mean, you know. No, they're, they're very f- fiscally responsible. I mean, if they'll pay, sure. Yeah. Why not? Um, you don't feel like you need to read, write anything major in the show. I mean... I, I st- there are certain things that I, I'm kind of worried about that are all that are really difficult to fix, uh-huh. um, such as uh, I still worry if there's too much mentalism in the show. I still worry if there's hmm. g- enough balance of magic, the kinds of magic in the show. I worry if the magic is visual. There's not a lot of visual magic in the show. Uh-huh. Um, a lot of th- you don't see a lot of shit happen. You know, mm-hmm. there's not a lot of like stuff changing or things happen. You know, I, really, there's one visual, really visual thing in the show, mm-hmm. and uh, I worry about that. Not that I, I think oh, I need to change this, but I, just, I, I, I think about it. I worry about it. So, but I, other than that, no, there's nothing. I feel like I have to completely head to, head to toe rebuild what the show is, mm-hmm. um, just because that wouldn't be possible oh by the way uh we went to a birthday party yesterday with a friend of ours who's doing a stand-up show um at the fringe oh, i won't cool. say who what the name of this person is because they said uh yeah i get there on august 1st and they said and i, I still need to write the show i, re- I don't really know what it's going to be about yet ah so i don't know if that makes you feel any better it does make you feel better yeah or it makes me feel worse because if that show's really good then i'll be like fuck you could do that in 10 days <laughs> um and we were talking about like specifically like maybe or examining the order of pieces in the mm-hmm. show. Yeah, uh, were you happy with that? Um, I I was. Uh, uh, this is a very non-committal answer, but yes and no. I I, I didn't. I, I still agree with all the problems I have with the order of the show. Uh-huh. Um, 
like where that mental epic is so far at the top and that how you know it's wait very, talk about this you think there's too much mentalism in the show i just worry i mean th- just exactly that i'm like is there too much you know there's probably up between the mental epic and that i mean it, uh, and the um and the envelopes and the clap and cheer thing uh oh. which is a prediction where you know people name a card right and there's something written on the back of the card they named right uh there's a max maven thing with envelopes I use a mental epic. You know, I mean, depending on how tightly you hold the term mentalism, a tossed out deck is mentalism it's in some degree. Yeah. Mentalism with cards. Uh, and there's not a ton of close-up, uh, like, wizardry in this. Right. Um, but the but that's also reflective of maybe the environment. I mean, generally, I would... Or, or, let's see. I know mentalism is really big in the UK. Yeah. That's where a lot of mentalists... Prosper. That's what they say when they're you've gone mental. Yeah, yeah that's right. Uh, and also, is it less angle sensitive generally? Yeah. So that's good. That, I mean, that was part of it. I think my biggest regret about this show was is agreeing to do it. <laughs> yes, was that too much of it was born of necessity. Uh huh. Like uh, too much was born of like oh well there are people there, you know there are rows on the side so I, there's that prohibits a lot of material immediately. Right, right, right. Uh, stuff like that. Um, you know, I, I think I have other examples. I can't remember what they well, are. Well, you know, the thing is, uh, if you wanted to go again at some point, we could try to book at the a different venue at um, Gilded Balloon. There's a room called the Wee Room, hmm. uh, which is uh, only seats like, I think, 15 people or mm-hmm. something. And I have seen a close-up magic show in there. Cool. Um, that would be a lot of fun. Performed by people that were not the best close-up magicians and that person's name was Schmerich Delschmadia yeah um it was um a magician that was trying to branch out from stand-up shows to Mm -hmm. doing you know it was like um I've got a stand-up show for the whole month and I'll be doing these very um you know exclusive close-up shows a couple times this month Mm -hmm. and then I went and I was like oh it was honestly I think two like at least one of them was like Sam the Bellhop style Mm -hmm. thing and I was just like whatever was it funny no. What do you think about... Uh, it's like quirky. How many times have you seen people who are more successful in one entertainment form perform magic? Uh, or vice versa. That, that's, yeah, what's an example? Yeah, so um, I, I'm not going to say this person's name, but a, a magician and I, uh, and I were talking, and he was saying that he, he kind of hates seeing... Like, magicians will who are good at magic will go off and spend time learning some other skill that they're only kind of good at, like oh. stand up or dance or something, Do they or put singing, it back in their show? and they put it back into the magic, and it just kind of weakens it because they're not funny enough to be. So there was one person he mentioned specifically. He said who was a great close up magician, uh-huh. and then he left magic for a while, and I think he moved to New York and was doing stand up for a long time, and then he came back uh, to magic, and now he talks way more in magic because now that magic's not as good because uh-huh. he's a pr- he's like kind of funny, and uh, he's trying to put that back in. The person made the same comment about people who take a couple dance classes and then suddenly you know are, are using dance to elevate their magic and it sucks yeah i mean some people take a couple magic classes and audition for the <laughs> castle and fail so yep <laughs> <laughs> uh, um no i think that uh it, okay it probably stems from i would say that there's a world of magicians such as derek delgadio and others who i hear constantly saying like 
when you say like who are your favorite magicians i, I don't know if he said that because actually he's talked about somebody i forgot some guy that he thought was amazing at cards um but they'll say stuff like who are your favorite magicians and they'll be like well i don't really follow magicians i like twyla tharp from dance and it's really important to like broaden your horizons in terms of like what you take in mm -hmm. and, and people who are sort of is twyla tharp a made-up name no twyla tharp is a oh. modern dance choreographer who actually uh i'll find you her book her book is great hmm. um it's it's a book about i forget what it's called it's about creativity and um and like, uh, not getting beat up when you have a name like twyla tharp twyla tharp she choreographed uh did she choreograph contact the Billy Joel musical. I hope that was rhetorical. Um, yeah, <laughs> probably. <laughs> I can, uh, I'll look it up. No, no, no. I could ask Eric too. Um, but um, so I wonder if this is a an impulse of like, okay, I'm sort of tired of magic and learned. Uh, there is, I think, um, a poten potential danger in magic that it seems like people kind of keep telling each other the same lessons over and over. Is the musical moving out? Moving out. I'm yeah, sorry. that is by. It says musical by Twyla Tharp. What's contact then? Contact. Oh, did she do contact as well? And it's not a mu musical version of the Jodie Foster movie. Okay, which would be good. Um. Um. No, I don't think she did because now just pages, I believe pages contact, are showing up that say contact Twyla Tharp. I believe like, contact con us. Oh yeah, I believe contact is Graciela Danielle. Okay. Um. So. Uh. I forget what I was saying. Something about people. Oh, I sometimes think that maybe magic is a little bit insular in terms of like a group of guys telling each other the same lessons over and over the same, mm -hmm. like, like there is a, <clears throat> you know, you have that library of jokes that you don't like people saying. I'm familiar with it. There is also, I would say a library of like truthisms about magic, you know, like don't run when you're not being chased right. and all that stuff that get said to each other a lot. And I think it's probably valuable every once in a while to be like, is that really true? Like, sure. let me go learn how to be a Bunraku puppet master mm -hmm. and then do all my color changes with Bunraku puppets. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think every rule can be broken as long as you're paying attention to why you're breaking that rule. Uh, similarly, I think it's interesting when, uh, for example, a fair amount of magicians also will do like contact juggling mm -hmm. with their little globes. Yeah. And... A lot of times I'm like, that's cool. That's not really, that's juggling more than anything else. Mm -hmm. And I have seen people of varying uh, quality quality yeah. put that into their acts. Exactly. So I think that was the point this magician was making. Yeah. Magicians learn another thing and they're like, cool, I yeah. can do this thing now. And they'll put it in and they're not good enough at it to be doing yeah. it. But they're good enough at magic to be doing magic wherever they're doing it. And then, so they think they can get a pass, do this other thing with lower quality. I wonder, do you feel like... It seems like there's a lot of magicians that um, are not necessarily burned out, but I don't see a lot of magicians like year after year pursuing new directions in, in just in magic. Yes. Um, so I wonder if this is an expression of boredom on their parts of just like, well, let me just go learn something else. Yeah, maybe. Because I'm doing a cruise ship and I'm doing the same act that I've done for the last five years. Or right. Um, magic's also interesting because uh, there's... There's first of all, I would almost say that like the different between stand up and close up and like the, all these different mediums almost seem like different careers mm -hmm. in a way, and there's such a wide gamut between guys who are like working in restaurants every week to 
people trying to win FISM. <laughs> you right. know, like, and that's the same group of people. Yes. I don't know if that's true in other fields. Yeah, I don't know about that. There's there's so many different paths for a magician's career to take, right? The cruise ship path is different from the corporate show path, which is different from the college show path, which is different from the trade show path. Yeah. Um, which is different from the you know theater and like uh, and path. then different from the creator sell your stuff path. Yeah. Um, they're all different. They're all sort of under the same umbrella. Or the like, just be at. Uh, magic conventions would be a demonstrator path. <laughs> that yeah. seems like a different, like, uh, I remember a long time and ago. Mark Mason is rich. Yeah. He's the I'm best. Sure. Um, a long time ago, they used to have a thing called Mac world in, mm-hmm. in New York and which I loved. It was a monthly, uh, yearly convention about the new products in the Mac world. And I would go. And one year, um, there was a guy demonstrating macromedia Dreamweaver, which okay. is this program to make websites and you watched him and I was like, this guy's amazing. Like, I got to get this product. He's, he's building this web page in, you know, 30 seconds. It's right. so good. And then, like that year I bought Macromedia Dreamweaver. Then the next year, he was back but working for Adobe, demonstrating like Adobe Page Mill or something. And so, why Mac, Macromedia sucks. Uh, well, no, but just like, he was like, oh my God, this is the product you have to, and then I like, I realized, oh, no, it's just this guy. Right. This guy is so good that like whatever he demonstrates. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Mark Mason is the same way. Mark Mason or JB Magic. He's, have you bought stuff from him? So I've spent hundreds of dollars uh-huh. over years because he, he puts out all these deals. He's a good performer. He draws a big crowd. He gets you excited. And he tells you how the he'll walk he walks you through the construction of the entire trick. Yeah, he, man, he could sell you a car with no wheels. He could sell you anything. It's um, incredible. You mentioned that before that he explains how stuff works, and I feel like that's an expression of confidence on his part. It really is. Just yeah. like I'm not trying to beguile you and make you spend money because you just got to know what the secret is. Right. Here, this is I'm selling this to you because you're going to use it. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, unlike some people that have sold things to a young John Accardo. <sighs> <laughs> Don't get me started. Um, don't, especially because I've been buying things for this show. Don't get me started on magic sellers selling shitty products. Uh-huh. I've bought, I've spent a lot of money recently on stuff for this show that was just bad. Yeah. It was just bad. Well, I the good to, thing is... I had to go and buy a, a different, better, you know, thing. Uh, the good thing is you can just send it back, right? Ugh. Awful. <laughs> this is why I don't buy magic stuff very often, because it's... Low quality. Um, I was looking for my foam microphone to get because I feel like you still need that. Oh right, yeah, the foam microphone. The um, microphone. Have I made that joke? I'm sure. I think I have. we did. I'm sure. There's no way I've. How's gone, your sleep been? Um, uh, not great. Uh huh. A lot how, of late how, nights. How's your panic level been? Lower after Friday. Oh good. Still pretty high though. I was telling Eric that I feel like from our first rehearsal, like last Sunday, to the second rehearsal, I thought the show took a jump. From the second rehearsal to the dry run, I thought it took a huge leap. Yeah. Um, and I think just the pressure of having people watch you right. brought up, like, kicked in a lot of, like, performer instincts on your part. So, and I think that's what um, let the show sort of trial by fire sort of, like, uh, bonded into one big piece right. on Friday, which I, and I thought it really held up. Mm-hmm. What, did um, you, what did you think of the show on Friday? Uh, it was all right. Cool. Uh, <laughs> no, I thought it was really good. But it's uh, too late to cancel, so I guess uh, we're going to still go. About two, about, uh, uh, what do we go? Clap and cheer into what? What was next after Mental that? Mental Epic. 
uh, somewhere in the mental epic, I was like, this show's gonna be fine because the you're yeah. Well, the or that laughs at the top of that show were hitting the jokes were hitting really hard. Yeah, when you uh, um, oh, especially I was I was of course I was just like. How are my jokes doing in this show? So, right. like, when they questioned the deeply hurtful one, I was yeah. like, yeah, still as, got it. As well as the both the jokes in that routine. What was the, the other the, one? The two jokes that Chris wrote for one routine was that I joked that um, I what magic has taught me is the ability to read people's minds when it comes to whether or not they like oh, me. Yes, that one hit well, too. That I'm one hit sorry. well. And then, uh, and then, yeah, was, I, there's a question where I say that people often ask, when I tell them I'm a magician, they ask if there's any money in that. Which sounds simple enough, but in reality is actually deep. No, what is it? It's I always, a question that is right. A question that sounds simple, but is actually deeply hurtful. Yeah, for some reason it's important you say the question. A question that is right. Yeah, for the rhythm of it. Um, and so then anyway, you, and then all, then you uh, uh, went in your own direction with jokes because then uh, uh, people were criticizing. You were just playing random music. So so to we haven't said any transitional music so yep. i started with trying to play some music similar to the our show's opening because i thought john's dad would like it right. so i looked for segovia and started playing segovia guitar tracks but it's very not <laughs> like exciting for a show right uh, imagine the music at the beginning of this podcast played as like lead up and transitional music in a show it could be appropriate for a very very contemplative serious show mm-hmm. uh, which this show is serious at the end of it but and so people were making fun of me for how much energy the songs had. So then I played like, I've right. got the power and live in La Vida Loca, right. which then I was also, it was getting the energy up, but I was also like, uh, I would play it and they'd be like, wait, what's the next piece? Is this ruining the next piece? <laughs> right. But I, it wasn't I too once bad. attempted suicide, <laughs> yeah. live in La Vida Loca. <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyway, I thought once the w- once we got yeah the last were strong in the first couple of pieces and I was like oh this show's gonna be fine and then I think like I had little notes in general about like blocking and stuff like that but I also thought that you doing the show even five times in a row right eighty percent of those things are gonna be worked out yes um, and then my only big note to you I think was also just born of you not knowing the script that well which was there were physical actions where you could be talking like i bet there i bet in the actual run the show will be probably five minutes shorter than that sure how long was it did you time it i didn't time it it's, it's, on, have, the yeah, it's on the video but it was right around it was a fine length like i don't think it i don't think we need to cut anything i don't think it was over an hour okay uh but i think anywhere between 50 and 60 minutes i think it will be fine got it um so and my only thought of a, like a, any major change was I just thought the last piece was too long. Uh, the audio cue for one part of your last piece, yeah. we had made it so long, and like I just saw you up there just trying to think of things to do. Yeah, <laughs> um, I just think that could be sure. We might need to um, just completely re-record that one because I I sent you a version where I tried to sort of trim out, right? Um, and we might need need to make it shorter. Um, the front half of that piece with the voiceovers, I thought was very lovely like i thought the that in the piece that you're doing with it the magic that you're doing with it it's a nice like thing and then it was interesting you had some magician friends there yeah the show is 55 minutes by the way oh perfect um you had some magician friends 
And I asked them, like, how often is this done? And they're like, not that much. Not anymore. It used yeah. to be done a lot more. And uh, now no one doesn't really. And, and, and it's reflected because the materials for that effect are harder to find online. Much uh-huh. harder to find. And then you find them and they're shit. Yeah. And then you have to buy new ones. Have you gotten any new ones yet? Or no, they're arriving today. Not the chemicals, but um, new sand. Um, I'm doing an, I'm doing a Sands of the Desert for anyone that's listening to this. And, and I haven't said that explicitly. Uh-huh. Uh, and I came up with a what I felt was a, a more interesting way to perform that effect and mm-hmm. to give it a little bit more, more meaning. Yeah. I see a lot of people do stupid shit with it. Um, <laughs> one, I, I found one video that was, I thought when was, I get, <laughs> <laughs> when I get older, that's not even what I'm talking about. That person I did want to punch in the face though. Uh-huh. When you watch him just cause the, the meat or the haircut or something, the haircut and the dance. When I get older, I will be... I don't know the words for that song. I like that song a lot. That is a pretty song. That was a song written for the World Cup. Yeah, when I was in South Africa. Uh, something like that, yeah. Uh, there's a nice um, feels synergy. Very, of feels, the, it feels like a very post-apartheid, yeah. Nelson Mandela-esque song. There's a nice synergy in the lyric of that song, though, because when he's actually doing the second half of that piece... The, the lyric is going like, and then it goes back, and then it goes back. Oh, that's right. You did. That's, I that. think that's pretty cool. Right. Um, so we'll just cut. But I will say his performance of the trick itself was good. Yeah. It was quick, and it didn't feel too like uh, – my, my problem doing this is that I'm, I'm so careful with the sand when it goes in the water. Yeah. I'm, like, protecting it, and I'm, like, trying to bunch it up in the water and kind of keep them from talking to each other, which I wasn't super effective in doing the other day. And he's fucking moving up and down that stage. He just – tosses them in and he gets them out and the, yeah. the water changes really quickly and efficiently i'm like man i wish i wonder if they sell a bowl that has like three little like divots in it or something oh yeah oh. Probably build well, one. Probably one to- i mean we can get one for 1300 bucks yes if we want to there's there's a bowl for this piece that's uh it's not just the bowl it's all of it it's not just the bowl it's the magician's tips yeah it's yeah, all it is also all work. luis de Mathos, uh yeah. sells one sells the sands of the desert on all major magic deal at penguin and vanishing ink and such and it's 1250 dollars yeah which it, is why we need you guys to contribute yes, to the kickstarter I need... just to get this weird looking bowl I, I mean look i will say there is an almost directly proportionate proportional like link between the the current state of that trick and how stressed i am about the show oh uh-huh the worse that trick is going mm-hmm. on a given day and it's different every day the more stressed i am about the show uh-huh well that's something you can practice in a hotel room um sort of but it's it's th- it's not the problem is working with these fucking chemicals yeah. to turn this water black and clear again it's 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 different every single time i do it the timing is different. The water is different. the The reaction is different. It's different every single time I do it, to well, some degree, and and that's terrifying. Here's a good thing: that uh, by the end of this month, you'll probably be in the top twenty people that understand sands in the desert in the right. world. <laughs> like you probably have. Pr- I my guess in the month of August is you'll probably perform sands of the desert more than anyone in the world. Like, probably, right? I don't know. Like, maybe. Who would? I don't know. Yeah. Um, so, you'll probably... Derek Schmelfati. <laughs> there, well, the, going to the category of chops, like, there will be... You will have chops in this particular trick above almost anybody at, by the end of this month. That's assuming you do it the whole month. <laughs> that, like, right. halfway through, you're just like, ah. Fuck this. Yeah. I mean, look, my fingertips have been black all week. Uh-huh. And I would love for that. Uh, part of me is like, what if I, what if I like 
wore gloves <laughs> when I did it. Uh-huh. What if I wore like surgical gloves? Well, what if you wore gloves like uh, Cardini? Yeah, right? nice leather, glo- and, leather gloves. Um, and they just get like stained with like yeah. colors on them and stuff. Um, the oh, the, the, I did think also. I believe was it Simon that told you that you were going to like level up during this month twice. I said I'll level up twice. Um, I also thought that while watching the show because like I thought the show was on Friday way better than it was on Sunday, right? And so I just think that the there is I I don't know if this is true. This might be apocryphal that when they were building the stealth bomber that they didn't the screws in the stealth bomber are like not all completely like either tightened or like or the welds are not all fully completed or something and that this plane like bonds together on its first flight mm. like they'll like the like all of the I mean, it sounds like an insane thing to say. It sounds like something an improv teacher told me once, and that yeah. is it not true? Because the idea of putting up, <laughs> flying like a $3 billion plane that isn't fully uh, constructed right. yet, <clears throat> but something like that the heat of the travel fuses all the welds together. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm going to look this up. Anyway, I don't know whether or not ever. it's true. You know what? The, uh, if you put a frog in boiling water, it doesn't fucking die. Like, like, if you put a frog in cold water and gradually turn up the heat, it doesn't just sit there and die. At some point, people have tested this. At some point, the frog is just like, this is too hot, and just jumps out. Like So that metaphor about like, you know, a frog and boy, have you heard this metaphor? I have not, and it's a Wait, very- Wait, you've never tro- heard this metaphor? I mean, hold on. It sounds like a very troubling metaphor. This is a metaphor of, for example, how like uh, America could like turn into a fascist state without us realizing it, that you put a frog in room temperature water or cold water oh, and, and gradually bring up the temperature and then it just sits there, doesn't notice, and just boils to death. Right. That's a metaphor that's often used and not true at all, but still a useful metaphor. And similarly, the stealth bomber fusing together in the sky is like your show. Right. Uh, <laughs> I prefer that to the frog boiling alive in the water. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know that. And, and who's going around testing it just to give weight to this metaphor? Who's trying to murder a frog just to see if this metaphor flashes? Well, so, some people water. actually, yeah, some people did end up testing it, and it, I, I remember just thinking it was funny. Like, that there's been a lot that metaphor gets used a lot, similar to um, how when quantum theory first came around, mm-hmm. the uncertainty principle, it suddenly became a thing of like people, like a lot of not for but shows in general, theater and plays and stand up and one person shows would mention the uncertain principle, like, yeah, you know, like looking at something really changes it. Like, so when I look back at my childhood, does it change me or something? And I remember like quantum physicists being like, okay, but like, that's not really, you're not really understanding how it works, (laughs) but I guess you can keep saying that. Right. Like, um, so I love the idea of the frog just being like, Oh no, it's too hot. I'm just getting out. I don't care what your metaphor says. (laughs) Uh, the, uh, so we're going to work on transitional music. Yeah. Um, did you talk to your parents? They they watched the dry run. Yeah. Any more? Like what? Any thoughts from them? Um, they had a lot of little thoughts. Nothing too major. Uh huh. Even just things about like when I put my hands into the water and, and stuff like that. Uh-huh. Uh, but no, nothing too major that sticks out that I can think of. Yeah. Um, what about uh, any particular insights from? I believe you had two friends there that were magicians. Yeah, a couple of magician friends there. I haven't talked to Robert too. I haven't uh, since then, so I want to text him again. Uh, he had some thoughts about how about what he called Fun John. Yeah, and how that should be a bigger part of the show. He had thoughts about the um, 
Guess I'm a fucking bummer. Uh, the the not so much the magic or the script, but almost just like the performance of it. Right. Um. Well, I think this is an interesting dichotomy in your stage character, uh, and I. This is probably something that you're going to just work out over the next ten years, which is that. Robert's point is very true. People really like when you're sort of off the cuff and engaging with the audience in an improvisational way. Right. And that is very like sort of bubbly and up and high energy. However, clearly from the writing of the show, you have other sides of yourself you want to explore that are like not so high energy and bubbly. Right. Um, So I think that probably the duality of these two things is what makes this show interesting uh, and maybe he's just talking about the balance of like he wants it more and a little bit more. Of, I actually think he wanted a little bit more of the one direction so that the other direction feels more has more weight at the end. Right. Um, but I think it's interesting. I would say most of the dark parts of the show are not something that you would like include if you did like <laughs> the close up gallery for yes. a week. <laughs> uh, but then again, it's like maybe you could. It's interesting that like it doesn't feel super appropriate for the close up room. Does it like I don't? It doesn't seem to me like I've never seen a show in there. Right. Like, but then it's like, why? Like, you could like, yeah. There's no law against it. I mean, maybe there should be. <laughs> um, and Peter was there as well. Peter one Shreda, of our, one of our letter friend listeners. of the pod. Yeah, um, no, I hated that friend of the cast. Even worse, uh, friend of the podcast. I don't know if he had good ideas for you, but he had a good idea for this uh, uh, smash uh, sit and I guess I'll call it sit and fuck. <laughs> I thought that was your idea. Uh, no, but he had a good idea for on how to end it. Um, uh, so we were sessioning on my trick during your <laughs> rehearsal, not on yours. Uh, uh, awesome. No, I proposed a uh, version of Smash and Stab that is five paper bags on chairs, and then I pull down my pants and sit on them, and there's a, one of them has a dildo in it. Right. I think it'd be funny. Um, and he had a good ending, which is, uh, I, I hope I'm saying this right, I think it's... You get down to two, you sit on one, there's nothing in it, and then as a joke, or, or I forget, somehow you sit on the f- last one too. Right. And then it's like, oh, you guys, I guess you pranked me, there. it's not in there at all. And then you turn around and there's like the base of a Zilda <laughs> in your butt. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying I should do this for my audition in October, <laughs> but <laughs> I'd love it if people did that. Yeah, there's definitely places you could do that in L.A., weird theaters. Uh, yeah, Robert suggested Booby Trap for this. No? As being a place to do that. Um, I don't know, how, anything else you're thinking about? Are you, are you in a kind of cocoon state at this point? Uh, yes, I feel. And I actually just watched the movie Cocoon. <laughs> Why? Uh, no, I didn't. Oh. Um, have you seen that movie? I have not actually seen Cocoon. I believe an old person breakdances in that movie. <laughs> nice. It's, it's my vague memory of you that. Know, if I, I always said if I was a director, every movie I'd ever make would have an old man breakdancing in it. Um, even in the old man with a gun? Yeah. Uh, that, and it would just be called the old man breakdancing <laughs> with a gun. <laughs> with a gun, breakdances. That's how he robs the banks. He actually, didn't actually rob them, he just breakdances and they tip him. <laughs> um, well, I just Googled Don Amici breakdancing and it came up. Yes, he does do a breakdance. Don Amici from, uh, from Trading Places. Have you seen that movie? I have seen Trading Places. He's one of the old guys in Trading Places. Doesn't Dan Aykroyd do blackface in that movie? Does he do blackface? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
Oh, he's a Jamaican dude. Yeah. Uh, oh my god. Yeah. You, you can't watch anything from more than one year ago. Um, you know, if, uh, if we can talk about comedy for a second, yeah. I just watched Aziz's new special. Oh, how is it? It's very, very good. Ah, interesting. I, I really like it. And he talks a lot about kind of he he, he talks a lot about like, um, that kind of thing. Like, can we still enjoy stuff from beforehand? Uh-huh. Uh huh. You know. Um, and he's like, and he's like, yeah, it's nice that you're getting really upset about Apoon right now, and that's great. But things have been bad for a long, like you know. And then he like, then the, he talks about the Hangover. He's like, the Hangover came out not long ago, yeah. And Bradley Cooper in that movie shouts, paging Doctor Faggot a whole bunch, and nobody said anything. Uh huh. <laughs> so you can do that now. It's a lot. It's a lot. A lot of uh, talk about re- very recent culture that did things that you could no longer. Um, do. Speaking of which. Let's talk about the show I saw last yeah, night. Yeah, I was about to ask you that. Well, because it's actually very applicable to the thing you're about to uh, yeah. you're discussing. Last night I saw Hannah Gadsby's Douglas at the Ace. Is that the uh, name of the show? Yeah, uh, at the theater at the Ace Hotel here in Los Angeles. She lives here now, apparently. Oh. So uh, the I, the possibility of seeing her do didn't she just have a residency at the Dynasty Typewriter at the Dynasty for a few Typewriter, days? Yes, it might have been workshopping this. Um, so it's a great show. I think everyone should see it. Is the assumption? Sorry to interrupt you. Is the assumption that like that performing at the Ace it's sort of a like completed work in some degree. This felt like a completed show. Yep. I don't know what she did at the Dynasty Typewriter. Yep. It, okay, so is the Dynasty Typewriter the kind of... If I saw a big-name comedian there, is this the kind of thing where I'd go, oh, this is them doing it, or this is them sort of figuring it out? Uh, I don't know, because I've never been, but it does have a vibe. Never been to the Dynasty Typewriter? I have not. Neither have I, actually. But. I heard it's very cool. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, Dynasty Typewriter does seem like more a venue for comedy fans and comedy nerds. Um... Like people who would know, this is not a super obscure thing, but people who would know like what Comedy Bang Bang is, right? Right. And the theater at the Ace Hotel feels like those people plus a swath sure. of gen- general public. Yeah, at the Ace Hotel is where I saw Jim Jeffries. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah. Jim Jeffries, I saw in, in Scotland. He's very good. No, he's great. I think he's really good. His show is really good, too. I don't think his show is getting enough credit. His show is doing some Oh, really yes. Good. My his, friend Lucas writes on that. Um, uh, his show is doing some really good stuff. When you saw him live, did he do an extended, like, did he do a lot of, like, off-the-cuff, like, talking to the audience kind of stuff or no? Not a whole lot that I recall. Uh, he did, like, 10 minutes because a guy kind of heckled him. Mm. And he, like, walked off the stage and, like, found the guy in the audience and, like, talked to him. And oh, no. Nothing like that happened. Um, so... Hannah Gatsby Douglas is great. It is really great. Everybody should see it. I'm pretty sure it seems very much like they will do it on Netflix. Um, I don't want to talk about too much about what's in it because it's um, there's some elements of it that are a little bit like uh, not like super surprising, but just the it's fun. It, it's fun to not know what direction the show is going to go before you watch it. Um, right. It does definitely follow on her success and people's reactions to Nanette. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't have a, I don't want to say a ton of specifics. It's, I would highly recommend it. If it comes to your town, you should see it, but I, but I bet it will be on Netflix. Right. Okay. All that said, this was very interesting. Um, she talks at one point about, um, like she makes a, I will spoil this joke. She makes a joke about, uh, getting a hysterectomy. Um, to a doctor like she's relating the story where she makes this joke to a doctor and the doctor doesn't get that it's a joke Mm -hmm. and so she's sort of following up on the joke and she went like you know why don't we I'm paraphrasing but she said like why don't we just get this all out of me and then she sort of you know I heard that decluttering is a fad these days and then she like held her sort of like abdomen and was like 
this does not spark joy, doctor. <laughs> like that. And after the show, I was with three other people, and I was like, did that seem like an Asian accent that she yeah. was doing? <laughs> and two of the three people were like, yeah, one of them was Eric, who was like, yeah, I was kind of cringing at that part. And then the other person was like, oh, that's definitely what she was doing. And then the four, to be fair, the fourth person was like, I didn't get that from that. But when she did it, I was like, wait, what? What's happening? Because I will say the crowd was very, very white. It was right. like, I would say, less than 5% people of color in that mm-hmm. audience. So in an environment like that, I felt a little bit like, uh, this that's not cool mm-hmm. <laughs> in a way that like... If you were willing to do that joke, you know I'm curious because I, I, as I told you, I, I'm tonight I'm hanging out with a friend uh, who saw that show. Oh, you know what? And I'm just, gonna I'll ask her like, did you remember this joke? And yeah. feel like an Asian voice. Well, by the way, it was definitely not a joke that anybody like batted an eye at at all. Like no one, it wasn't like anybody was like oh or anything like that. Now I will, I was not there, so yeah. I you know don't you should definitely speak on this yes uh <laughs> it it sounds like that that could be a point i feel like a a, a a los angeles white audience seeing hannah gadsby is probably pretty liberal pretty sensitive to racial issues to some degree uh pretty liberal i would say yes okay okay so maybe, maybe i was gonna say that like I feel like the audience, an audience that sees Hannah Gadsby, w- would probably also not react well to like some hearing her do like an Asian voice like that. Mm, it, so it was very short. Uh, so I would say no to that assertion because um, well. it was very brief. It was a very imagine if you're rolling along and there's like five laughs, five very strong laughs, and mm-hmm. the sixth one is like a very brief Asian voice that kind of gets a laugh too. There's a lot of. Uh, white people that would not even notice. That's fair. Never um, mind. In, in, so that's one thing. Also, it stood out yeah, to I'll, me. I accept that. I stood out. I was wrong. It, it stood out to me because. Oh, by the way, wouldn't the six joke wouldn't fly if it was like, "Ooh, I love this fried chicken," or whatever. Like even out of context. <laughs> right. Lots of people listening to this podcast just cringed. I just right? my butthole just tightened. <laughs> but a lot of Asian jokes, people don't necessarily cringe at. Right. Um. The other thing is that it was in contrast to the rest of the show, which was very, very, extremely, like, like progressive in terms of like people's what people are mm-hmm. called and like like in almost every other direction, it was ultra ultra left in terms of being progressive. So that made it stand out to me more. That was that it was to the point that I was like, that couldn't have been what she was doing. Right. Like when I when she did it, I was like. No, maybe that's her accent. Like maybe that's her Australian accent, and like it was just because I was just like that. That can't be the joke she thought was okay to make in that moment when so much of this show is about, and so much of her last show too is about what jokes do and how they function in society and comedy. Yeah, that surprises me to hear as well. So I, <laughs> having not been there, I I'm going to assume that she that her heart was in the right place oh yeah i would assume that too and also i would think that like i i, I think if you asked hannah gadsby hey is it okay to do an asian voice for a joke she'd probably go oh no well like, she might not realize it well the only thing that would temper is my thought about that so first of all yes i agree with you except that three of the four of us did think it was that so even if it wasn't that there's a part of me that's like hey maybe say that part with a little less whatever it is you're doing that makes me think zip. it's in it yeah <laughs> a little less mustard um, on that joke uh, in fact, it would be very interesting. I was thinking, I kind of want, I kind of hope it doesn't make it into the Netflix special this moment. Or if it does, 
then I want lots of people to like either confirm or deny that that's what's happening in that mm-hmm. moment. Um, the thing that tempers my thought about this, this like that she's very liberal and you know wouldn't make a joke like that, is that she was wearing a "Make America Great Again" hat. Uh, yeah, uh, and she brought out Donald Trump at the end. Oh wow! Um, He's in town. Yeah, the uh, in Sydney, having been in Sydney, which is like probably the most urbane city in that country and one of the most cosmopolitan cities in the world there's a fair amount of casual asian racism that people just kind of like people feel very comfortable making jokes about chinese people there there are so many of them in the city that i think it's maybe their way of expressing a little bit like they feel like the city's been kind of taken over by them or something like the a lot of the culture where we were staying which is downtown a lot of shopping tourist area a lot of that culture is informed by Chinese and Asian in general presence. Mm-hmm. And I could see like, and not only that, a lot of them have money and are spending money and it's, they're sort of integral to the economy there. And so they're not like a little presence and they're not a not unpowerful presence. Right. Right. So there were a lot of like, I, I mean, not by a lot, I would say in the month that I was in Sydney, I probably heard like five to seven casual jokes about like, what the Chinese people do there. Right. Which is more than I would hear in a month here in Los Angeles. What kind of jokes were they? <laughs> jokes like, you know, oh, you want to go shopping for cameras? Well, you know, where you know where a lot of people take pictures is where all those Chinese people hang out. Or go like go to Chinatown. That's where all the cameras are sold. Mm-hmm. Like or, you know, just um joke they're always like relatively positive. I mean, that's the model minority issue. But like jokes about like well they're they're gonna work harder than you or you know right the one was a joke about when i suggested getting a surgical mask to like not get sick Mm -hmm. i was like well you know who's wearing all those in the city so um so that would make me think that there might be there's a possibility of hannah gasby having a blind spot to that being a a particularly strong issue uh, because she was born in Australia. Mm. Um, anyway, I don't think it's that big a deal. I'm mostly curious to see what other people think to see if I'm correct or not. Right. Because most of my rational thought is like, there's no way that's what that joke is. Right. Um, but also my body viscerally when it happened, I was like, Ooh, like that, that was weird. And again, like it, I, the demographics of an audience listening or watching a show really changes how I feel about stuff sometimes because, you know, one of the things that exacerbated how I feel about Book of Mormon, which uh, on record I hate, um, is that I saw Book of Mormon in a, at the Hollywood Pantages in a crowd that was very white, that was, you know, generally deceived, stuff like that. You, you're probably in the upper, like you're probably well off mm-hmm. in a way that most people aren't. And so seeing kind of what I consider very skewed racial humor being laughed at so heartily by a room that wasn't those people. So like if you do book of Mormon for a bunch of of African American people or African people, and they think it's hilarious too, then there's a part of me that'll be like, okay, cool. Like this is vibrating on a wavelength that is okay for them that I, maybe I was just making a wrong presumption about. Um, But it seems a little, to me, it feels cringy and, not necessarily cowardly, but a little bit like, you know, when the people aren't in the room, we'll make these jokes. Not right. that they control who buys tickets, but the, the, it has that feel sometimes. So that made it worse for me last night because I was just like, 
I couldn't look around and like see if there were any other Asian people. Did you, know. you feel people kind of look at you? Be like, is that okay? Uh, the whole room turned, and I was like, just give me an okay right. sign. No, <laughs> like in Gladiator, you just yeah, like you just give a thumbs down. Uh, no, really, no one even noticed. Like the vibe of the crowd, it didn't pass in any way, uh, which also disturbed me because this was a very very. Uh, queer audience I would say right. and uh, and that also bugs me a little bit like if if that's what it was because it's like a, a, a very queer audience that is very sensitive to their own issues but like if it's not their issue like it might not even like occur to them right <laughs> so anyway go see it it's great <laughs> uh, actually, it actually really is great and it's like 99.99% of the show is amazing and I might be totally wrong about that one and I don't feel strident strident enough about this to be like don't go see that she's an enemy or all that stuff. i just think it's either a misunderstanding on my part or a blind spot on her part and even if it is that i don't think it's that big a deal and i'm sure it's easily corrected right um uh, one more thing about comedy like in in thrones the musical when we took it to sydney i wrote a little chunk of it where one speech is uh, one person is giving a speech that says like um it's mirroring daenerys's speech from game of thrones the last episode where she was like I will liberate you all from, and in the show, she says like from this place to this place. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wrote it to be like, I liberate you all from Manly to Burwood, which are like Sydney re- neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. And initially it would say like from Manly to Burwood, from Newtown to Redfern, uh, to, from this place to this place, but not Mount Druitt. Cause I heard it was kind of sketchy. Mm. Um, and I wrote it as her being kind of like a, like a millennial girl being like, Oh my God, I totally don't want to go to that part of town. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the first neighborhood I put in there was a town called a city called Redfern in Sydney. And people were like, uh, we might not want to say Redfern cause that like as a recently gentrified area. And so it comes across as like a racial joke. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Oh, that's good. Cause I don't know anything. I was just like, I, to be fair, I did Google like rough neighborhoods in Sydney, right. but I didn't mean it like that way. And so we, we did that for one show and then they were like, maybe we should change that. And I said, well, which neighborhood do you think would be good for to um, put there? And they were like, Mount Druitt because blah, blah, blah. I was like, cool. We'll just put, however, say Mount Druitt. And then we got an email that was like, I'm from Mount Druitt. And when you said Mount Druitt, I like, I felt very isolated and I'm a person of color in a crowd full of white people, and they wow. were and they were all laughing at my the neighborhood where I grew up. Oh man, you book and, a Mormon dim. Yeah, I book a Mormon dim. And so um, I wrote back saying, you know, fuck you. I'm an equal opportunity offender. Yeah, comedy's comedy. If it's funny, it's funny. Yeah. Uh, no, we just changed it. Like and then I was you went like, on Joe Rogan's podcast. Yeah, exactly. And then I became a very popular person, uh, and now I'm an incel. Um, <laughs> no, I changed. We changed it because I was like. It was interesting when I would introduce that discussion about what happened to people regularly before they heard me say like that I changed it or the third and fourth sentence of this story, they would say like, oh, people are so sensitive these days. Like, why does everybody have to be offended all the time? And that's not my take at all. Like, my take is that that joke is not that important to the show. Right. I don't need to keep that in the show. And I directly relate to what that person wrote to me about feeling very lo- alone in a big crowd. Right. Um, and I actually think I wrote a funnier joke in its place. But I remember just being like, it's not that big a deal. I'll just change it. Like, the, I'm sorry that that one person 
heard it before I changed it, but I'm also grateful that they wrote me right. and that we changed it because of that. So, What did you think about old, older movies that have blind spots in them? It's harder because, like, what can they really do? You know. Well, I'm saying, can we still? Do you think it's still appropriate to remember and enjoy those movies? Um, like, I, for, like, like here, something I was hinting at, like, can I? Birth, I, birth of a Nation. Yeah, <laughs> <It's> hilarious. <laughs> so funny. Uh, can I? Like, I'm kind of. Can I still enjoy Blazing Saddles? Oh, I don't know. I haven't seen Blazing Saddles in a while. That's. Um, I mean, if if if. if Two thirds of all the racial jokes in there aren't yeah. really, really rough. Yeah. Like, I mean, even thinking at the end when they storm the movie set and you have Dom DeLuise. Right. I'd be like, stick out your tush. Right. Da, 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 da. Watch me faggots. Oh, did he say that? Yeah, because like, they do it wrong. And then he, stop, and he oh goes, watch God. me faggots. Um, I think that I don't hold those movies in that much um, disdain because, like, they were, there's nothing they can you can do, right, to fix these movies. Um, but I also think it's totally fine to, as viewers, to evolve past them. Right. Especially for comedy, because th- there's varying theories about what comedy is. But one of them is that it's a way to safely experience um, dangerous thoughts. So, it, it essentially, is like a roller coaster. Uh, but for comedy, you know what? I think I refer to this in the interview that we're still working on, that I'm oh. still editing. Um, but basically, you know, it's a way to explore things like racial humor or, you know, gender and that stuff in a way that lets you think about those thoughts, but is still safe. So it's incumbent upon the comedian to make sure that you feel safe when talking about those right. things. So, wh- for example... And I'm sure right there a lot of people will disagree with you on the other side of this argument. Uh, in what way? Uh, from what I've heard... shouldn't make you feel safe? Yeah, is that, is that it's supposed to... It is supposed to sort of challenge you and safety is not what you should be going for in a comedy show. I totally disagree with that because the, the reason that I can watch Louis C.K. talk about like, um, you know, what am I going to... like the, That joke he had about like, what am I going to do? Not going to rape her? Right. Like, that was a very funny, very insightful strong super strong joke when in my mind i was like of course he would never do something like this he would never think this um and then when it's clear that he does sort of thought think that way that joke is no longer safe for me to laugh at right um so i do think you should push people but like if you but the idea of like pushing an audience confronting them in a way that doesn't allow their brains a way out of it to process it I think is most likely going to be like weak comedy writing right it's going to be somebody who wants to just like shock people and not really um, I don't know then again here's the thing sometimes if you do it that way you can get a a fair chunk of people to laugh at those things right but that's um, then I would say do those jokes for the people that you are making fun of and see what they think of it as well sure um because sometimes I think what hurts sometimes is when you feel like, oh, a lot of the room is laughing at somebody else's expense. And sometimes the person is you. <laughs> um, and, and I will say there's a interesting thing in the Hannah Gatsby show. Uh, I found this very interesting. She goes, she goes off on anti-vaxxers for a little while mm. and the LA demographic of people that would go see that show. There's like, 
there were definitely people in the room that feel that way. So that I was, I was thinking about like, what are they thinking right now? Like, how does it feel for them? Right. Um, of course that's a place where I'm like, well, they're laughing at their expense, not mine. Right. But of course that's a way of thinking, not a way of being, you know, like mm-hmm. if you're being anti-vaxxer, it's not something you're born with. Right. Um, but so, uh, you leave tomorrow, leave tomorrow night and then, uh, the fringe is going to happen. Yeah. And that's that. And that's that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is there anything else? I didn't get a ticket update today. Oh, shall um, we? Uh, let's see. Uh, my guess is it's very similar to the last number. Yeah. If not exactly the same. Um, yeah. It'd be weird if it was lower. <laughs> Just suddenly like, I, first of all, I don't. Oh, let me clarify something as you look that up. You were joking that I was panicked because no one would come see the show. And then when their tickets sold, I panicked because people are going to come see the show. Yeah. Which is true. There are different kinds of panic though. Oh. Let me explain. I was panicked when we weren't going to sell any tickets because, as you saw on Friday, I used a lot of people in the show, uh-huh. right? Like, every person who came was asked to help out for a trick in some yes. some fashion or another. So that was one thing. It's like, fuck, am I going to be able to even do these tricks? Am I going to have to use the entirety of the audience and seven people show up? Am I going to have to use peop- the entirety of the audience and then people more than once? Am I going to have to cut stuff? I don't know. And that was one form of panic. And then once we sold tickets, it was a different form of like, oh, fuck, people are humans on this earth have paid money to see the show that I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. And that's a different form of panic. So that's, that is, it, it didn't, it's not like it just didn't go away. It just, it went from one form of panic to a different form of panic. Yeah. It'll find different levels. Yeah. yeah or just like different, different, different varieties. So from the last update, different to the, flavors of panic to today, we have sold the exact same number of tickets. So if let's say a week from now, we still have the same number. Would you then start developing a different form of panic? I don't know. Okay. But uh, it's like, I went from chocolate panic to vanilla panic. Uh-huh. And you might go to like... Um, rum raisin panic. <laughs> rum raisin. <laughs> I like uh, bad ice cream flavors. I like rum raisin. I like pistachio. I've never had rum raisin. It's good. No, the, there's, I, uh, I like there's, raisins. Fuck all the people that hate raisins. I don't hate raisins. Oatmeal raisin cookie is a good cookie. When okay? it comes to ice cream and the flavor of rum raisin, the, um, there, there's two, only two of the words in that flavor don't appeal to me. <laughs> but... Um, oatmeal raisin cookies are okay. You probably do you like soft chocolate chip cookies as opposed to crisp, thin and crisp. Sometimes it depends. Okay. So the I remember a friend of mine buys chips Ahoy cookies that are the soft kind, and I hate them. Oh, okay. I hate them. If you're not eating crunchy chips Ahoy, you should kill yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Signed, John Carter. Signed, John Carter. <laughs> uh, so we'll see you next time. So we'll be in Scotland the next time we do one. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna try to put out this interview. Uh, with our Australian friend, yeah, which is someone. We, we, the, the way you're saying it, it sounds like it's some secret superstar. It's, it's not. It's probably not someone that a lot of people who are, live out here have heard of. Yeah, it's someone that you should ha- know about and should pay attention to in the future. Yeah, because he's great. Yeah, and his name is Eric L Audio. Wow, <laughs> the Eric L Audio on our podcast <laughs> for real. You've been listening to The Setup, Discussions in Comedy and Magic. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please follow us on Instagram at setuppodcast. Shoot us an email. Our email is setuppod at gmail.com. That's setup uh, with two Ps. Um, 
setup podcast. Yeah, yeah. That wasn't clear. Uh, we also have a Facebook page that is just the setup discussions of magic and comedy. Uh, also, please give us a rating on iTunes, on um, iTunes podcast. Uh, give us a five star rating. Let people know you're enjoying it. That will go a long way. And if you're really enjoying it and you really want to support us, give us uh, a little bit of a donation on our Patreon. Become a subscriber of this podcast. Yeah, we don't have a Patreon. God, God, you have to tell me these things before we record this. Now, all right, just stop. Or stop.